Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Maybe you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's compensating for his Texas baseball woes by wearing a Houston Astros shirt. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Didn't even realize, yeah, I, I guess I subconsciously was yearning for um, baseball that, that, that wins. Uh, no, we, we, look, we, we will get into it. We'll talk about how we warned a little bit uh, of some of this in our preview. Um, if you missed that episode and you start this one off with uh, lamentations of the baseball team, uh, go back and listen to our preview. There, there are some good things to, to look forward to um, after what was a tough of an opening weekend. But, I mean, all in all, you scratch a little rough baseball weekend. It's um, we have a lot of good things to talk about. Pretty good week uh, for the Longhorns across the board. Outside of, of course, a rough one there in Arlington. But Gerald, just good to see you. It's good to be seen, Kyle. You know, I uh, I'm on the road for work. This is like my last road trip for the foreseeable future. So I'm I love traveling and getting to connect with people. But I also love my own bed, which is a thing, right? So yep, yep. Uh, I'm I'm actually coming to you from the uh, the Pacific time zone. I'll be back in Central time by the time any of you listen to this. But as we record. I'm in Pacific time. We're not here to talk about that. We do want to open up the show and acknowledge longtime Texas fan and booster Red McCombs uh, passed away Monday at the age of 95. He is one of the uh, largest big money donors, air quotes, that uh, Texas has had in quite a long time and uh, was a a massive booster. The uh, softball field bears his name and his wife's name. They're massively invested in the university, Uh, was an ambassador for him, controversial figure in some ways, but uh, cannot deny the impact he's had on the university. Uh, Yeah, I have a a degree with his name on it, right? The McComb School of Business is uh, is obviously named for uh, for Red and Charlene and the donations they made. Um, while at times there were some things I disagreed with some of his views, you can't <laughs> disagree with his love for the University of Texas. And Gerald is two San Antonio boys, also um, the driving force he was in bringing the Spurs to San Antonio, the longtime owner of that franchise as well. So um, a lot of my sports interests uh, can directly be traced back to Red McCombs' money. So uh, for that, we'll always uh, be thankful, Red, for, uh, for your interest in, in sport and, and good taste in teams to, to uh, follow in the Longhorns and Spurs. He never was able to get his NFL team in San Antonio, but that's Jerry Jones's fault, and I'll hate him forever for that. But teams that do play in Arlington or teams that did play in Arlington, Texas, <laughs> 0-3 at the College Baseball Showdown at Globe Life Field. We said it during our preview podcast. Kyle alluded to it. We'd know a lot about what Texas would be based upon this weekend. And Kyle... It seems like Texas is in a rebuild, and we anticipated that. You lose eight guys to the MLB draft plus three transfers out. Like, that's a starting lineup. So uh, we knew that this was going to be a bit of a rough patch for Texas, but running it down, uh, lost to Arkansas in a tight one, three to two on Friday, got walked off by Missouri on Saturday, six to five, and then just got absolutely housed by Vandy, who Vandy is 
clearly one of the probably six favorites to win. Like if, if there's a field of six teams that you're like this, I, I'd feel comfortable putting money on them. Vandy is one of them, right? Uh, so Vandy absolutely housed Texas. Texas did itself no favors in that game, but um, we knew what. We said it in the preview, right? This was going to be a rebuild year for Texas. A lot of new faces, a lot of new uh, guys needing to contribute. And part of the issue with that is that sometimes it takes them a minute to get up to speed. And I think we saw that uh, this weekend in Arlington. Yeah, I mean, Vandy for sure, a top 10 team. Uh, Tennessee was number three coming in. We know how good they were that sh- last year. They went one and two, so nothing is guaranteed, right? Um, even Arkansas, who's very good, went went two and one this weekend. We, we know that. The beginning of the year is always interesting. You're figuring things out. Look, there, there were positives to take away from this weekend. That Arkansas game I thought was a great game, and, and when Lucas Gordon was on the mound, that looked like the team we're going to see, you know, for most of the year, he threw five scoreless innings, uh, struck out six, only one walk, just two hits and five, uh, retired the last eight batters he faced, basically left it in a good spot. Uh, LeBaron Johnson came in. He was credited with the loss. He gave up all three runs. Basically, both teams scored all their runs in the seventh. Um, to the long run's credit, right, they gave up three in the top, scored two in the in the bottom, and you thought, okay, they got some fight. Can they get that next run? Can they get a fourth run? Um, because, look, it, Texas came in, and um, Andre Duplantier pitched two scoreless and, and hitless innings in relief, three strikeouts to close out the game. So it was there for them to take. They just weren't able to to get the answer. They they did have the Porter Brown solo shot, and Garrett Gement scored after he doubled. So they, they did some things, just couldn't get that last bit at the end. But, you know, again, Arkansas, a very good team, um, and Texas looked like they belonged on the field with them. The walk-off to Mizzou was tough, and you started to see the cracks a little bit uh, during that game that would show up in the Vandy game. Um, you know, we said it in our preview, that this team kind of goes as far as Zane Morehouse goes as our second starter. His ceiling is, you know, one of the better pitchers in the Big 12, like easily some of his stuff. It's just a control, and sometimes the, the ball hangs on him, and, and he gives up home runs, and, uh, you know, that can happen. He, he pitched four innings, got four runs, three of them earned on eight hits. Uh, but again, finished on a high note, back-to-back scoreless innings, four strikeouts in, the, in his last two innings. So you see where that talent is there, but um, gave up a little bit early. Um, you know, again, to their credit, Texas down 4-1 after, you know, they gave up a couple of those hits on some errors um, in the second, uh, which is, again, I think the, 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 the concern and the bigger takeaway of the weekend. But you saw freshman Jaden Duplantier, the other Duplantier, both had a good weekend, uh, a.k.a. Gumbo Salad on social media, which is one of my favorite uh, handles on social media that, that exists. Just an unbelievable name. But the freshman got his first career hit. And it was a two-run or two RBI ground rule double, right? So the, the Duplantiers are, are uh, deplanting the flag that they're going to be a big part of the team <laughs> this year. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's all right. Out, all out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, you know, again, Mizzou got a couple hits in that, that you know, bottom of the ninth, um, basically put one down third where the, the freshman was probably playing a little bit too far off the line, got past him, and then Porter Brown – Ball got stuck in the corner of a you know major league outfield. It, it, you know you know the game's on the line. Tough tough play. He didn't make it. They they you know ran around, scored at, at, at play at the plate and walked it off. Right, tough loss again. One run loss. That's tough. Vandy was was wild. Right, they went down eight zero in the second due to four errors in that inning. Gerald, I have a little bit of a math problem for you. I know, I know none of us said we're we graduates of the University of Texas math school, um, but I'm going to give you a stat line and you tell me what you think. The ERA might be here. So three innings pitch for Travis Staley, five hits, eight runs allowed, no walks, two strikeouts. What do you think that person's ERA will be the next time he pitches, if he does indeed remain the Sunday starter for the Longhorns? 
Oh my gosh, I have no clue. It's got to be astronomical, though. Three innings, eight runs allowed. It will be 0.00 because all eight of those runs were unearned, which is crazy. I like I haven't seen that since Little Leagues. Like that's nuts. Um, he will have a 0.00 ERA. So like again, you pinpoint in right there on what the issue is. And we said it in our preview. Like they went from being elite last year. They were the best in the in the country. Literally, they they were the best in the country at, at defense. Trey Faltini, the best defensive shortstop. Messenger was an ace on third base. Like there was no reason Ivan Melendez should have been as good a defensive first baseman as he was. Mitchell Daly, because he didn't have to play short, could be you know one of the better defensive second basemen in the country. They had that incredible double play machine between the two of them. Hodo just mowed things down in center field. Like all that's gone. Right. You also lost Silas Ardwin. You know, probably the best defensive catcher in the country last year. That's a lot of defense to replace, especially we talked about freshmen on the hot corners, talked about, you know, Jack O'Dowd, who's a little bit of a step slower going to second base so that Daly can go to short. Can Daly be as good as Faltini? Can, you know, Porter Brown, who's fast, can he be the outfielder that, you know, we needed with Kennedy moving uh, into to center field to take over for Hodo? Like, a lot of questions Unfortunately, from three games, small sample size, maybe not the answer that we were looking for. There's two sides to this coin, right? Like, can you expect Texas to literally be the record-setting defense year in, year in and year out? No, right? That's an unfair expectation. They basically had a 99% fielding percentage, right? 985 in the field, right? Because uh, baseball likes to do stats weird like that. But, like, there is zero way to expect that from Texas. But you also don't expect them to be terrible which is what mm-hmm. we saw uh on sunday right the the defense uh specifically the the shortstop connection was terrible like there's no two ways around it and i'm not trying to call the kid out but like i i feel like coach pierce probably said worse is what I'll, how i'll say it, right <laughs> sure. like uh, it was not like a couple of booted like a couple of booted plays by shortstop led to eight runs in that inning there's no two ways around saying that and that's yeah. really where like the game just got away when that game starts to snowball it that snowball picked up speed really really quickly there are already like there were last year uh, people wanting to move on from Coach Pierce. And I think that's one not going to happen because baseball operated at a loss last year uh, and Coach Pierce got an extension. So like he's probably not going anywhere for a while unless I don't know. Red McCombs left a big buyout budget at his will for Texas. <laughs> um, but like for Texas fans, I think we have to understand that like two things can exist or multiple things can exist at the same time, right? Like, am I disappointed by this outing? Yes. Are there reasons why this is happening? Yes. Am I upset that maybe Pierce wasn't as aggressive in the transfer portal as he should have been? Yes. This is, is this his strategy to hopefully build some young depth rather than having to go to the transfer portal every year? Yes. All four of those things can be true at the same time. And I think we're going to have to live that year because potentially next year they're going to be back again, not to record setting pace, but you're going to have to deal with one of two problems, right? Either you have to reload from the transfer portal every year, or you have a bump in the road year like this, and you let your young guys get the hiccups out, get the bad plays out, 
And then you have some upperclassmen. And the way to get old in baseball, in any sport really, is, is one of two ways. Either you play young guys and they struggle as young guys, or you build it by transfer. And I am of the mind that I think specifically in baseball, I'm fine with having a year that's that's a third place in the conference year, right? Uh, potentially. Maybe add one or two more portal guys, but like not rebuilding the entire thing out of portal guys uh, to allow this team to have some depth. I, I think that's a great call to action for the fans, Gerald, is, is give a little patience. Also, we, we said it. This would be some of their toughest games non-conference of the entire season. Like, I could legitimately see them going 13-3 and over their next 16 and getting the hype all the way back up because they're going to be better than everyone else they face. Doesn't mean they will win every game. Um, but, you know, they, they, they could put together a good little stretch before they head into conference and, and have the wheels turning. And, again, they're getting more reps, more rhythm, more repetition. One thing to take away, again, it's a weird one, with Staley having three innings and, and a zero ERA, even though he gave up eight runs. Um, but we have two starting pitchers with us taking a zero zero ERA into uh, their next start, right? Uh, Duplantier came in and pitched two innings, gave up no runs. Chase Loomis threw two innings in relief uh, across multiple games and gave up zero runs. David Shaw, who put his first stake down as uh, maybe a potential closer type arm. He came in in the last inning of, of two games and threw, you know, scoreless innings, um, uh, scoreless innings in both, right? So two scoreless innings. Uh, Heston told the Arkansas, uh, Shaw is the rice transfer. Heston told the Arkansas transfer came in through one uh, scoreless inning. So it's like there were, there were arms who were working, right? I think there were, there were guys who you can have some, some good takeaways. It's, it's, you didn't see a lot of the young arms. Pierce clearly wanted to lean on, transfers in the the pitching people who who'd seen some division one because it's it's a big step up it's a big step up uh for pitchers it's a huge step up for for you know defenders for fielders for batters the whole thing um you saw the offensive side and the defensive side both there there were a lot of um plays forced on on either people in a new position first time or or true freshmen uh in college at the first time so again it's it was it was warts and all, but they lost two of those games uh, against good teams on one run. You know, it, they were close games. I think the all the errors and the big loss to, to a good Vandy team definitely left a taste in the mouth. But say they win one of those and they go one and two, it's still not what we want as Texas fans, but you can understand the growing pain. So can they quickly, you know, recover from this will be the question. And, and can we see, um, you know, some big time improvement over the next month or two? In that vein of quick recovery, Texas returns home to Austin to uh, for its home opener at the Dish against A&M Corpus Christi this Tuesday. So the day you're listening to this, they'll be in action, kicking off the season at home. It didn't need to be this tough, didn't need to be this tight, <laughs> but number six, men's basketball beats OU 85-83 to in overtime to extend the University of Texas's win streak over the Oklahoma Sooners to nine games across all sports. Nine and zero against OU this academic year feels good, Kyle, doesn't it? It does not feel bad. I'll say this: look, I think we cut this off at ten, and we just don't count them anymore after that. Because if they can win, we'll talk. We'll talk about the next game they play is against the women's basketball team. We'll talk about in a moment, which is you know for for bragging rights and more. Um, if they can win that one and go ten and zero, it's great. And then we don't even have to count softball. We'll just call it over, and Texas uh, will will you know have a clean sweep again. Softball, uh, OU looks uh, very good. But uh, keeping it on the basketball court, this was you're right, Gerald. I think you said it correctly. This was way harder than it needed to be. It was way more stressful than it should have been. Texas. Um, 
multiple times during this game look like they didn't want to win it. And then, hey, you know, Serge Barry Rice is here. And then, uh, hey, I've only been a Longhorn for a few months, but I already don't like losing to Oklahoma. Uh, and he carried this team a couple different times. So The spirit of Andrew Jones possessed him. <sighs> it was beautiful. You're absolutely right. It was beautiful. Um, it, it, yeah, it, that's, that is actually, actually factually, I think, what happened. Um, we are not necessarily in the spirits and seance business, but... If you're interested in such a thing, you can you can find uh, any of our new podcasts not on the Vox Media Network, um, including the, the Spirits and Seance podcast. No, I, I kid. Um, we didn't need spirits. We didn't need a hex. We didn't need nothing. We just needed good old fashioned, last it out. You're the better team. Make a couple of plays, um, squeaky bum time, and you get to the end with a W over OU, which is big, right? Like we said, it just win your home once, keep yourself in play to win the conference, and for you know, in theory, then a number one seed. Um, this was the first step. It was a lot closer than we would have wished. Probably this was our easiest of the home games, but nonetheless, they they started it out, won it. Um, can they, you know, do something on the road? We'll see. Can they keep this up against probably better teams at home? Sure, we'll, we'll see. Um, but OU is no bum, right? Like, it's a tough conference, and, and they, they belong in the conversation of a tournament team. Um, so good win even if it was way, way more stressful than it should have been. If you want to get in on our new podcast that we're launching and do a segment called Too Hexy for the 40, <laughs> we'd love to have you on. But no, like this did not need to be as dramatic. Like Texas missed three straight shots in the end of regulation. OU hit like a crazy three. Marcus Carr had easily the worst possession I've seen in a very long time to set up one of the worst shots I've seen from in a very long time. That said, it's overtime, right? Then Texas took over early in overtime and kind of cruised like it got a little squeakier at the end, right? Texas was up by eight. Things were rallying. The corral was hopping. Um, and then OU kind of went on a little run. Basketball is a game of runs. A, a couple of extra free throws here and there. A couple of extra open looks go down here and there. And this is a much different game, right? Texas won ugly, and that's good. And, and does this game go that way in Norman? Probably not, but they didn't play it in Norman. They played it in Austin. Um, but like you mentioned, uh, SJ Rice dropped 24, half of which came from three-point range. Like, if he's doing that, no matter how well the other team plays, very few teams are going to beat them. On top of that, Marcus Carr chipped 17 on a night where he was 0 for 7 from three-point range, right? Two of those drop, right? He, goes, he has a bad night instead of the worst night, and Texas wins this by six points in regulation. Uh, he also chipped in six, six rebounds and four assists uh, to hit 700 for his career for assists, right? There was a lot left on the table for Texas and they still managed to beat their rival. You can't be mad about that. Timmy Allen got 15 and nine rebounds, like doing the things to win games like he does. I mean, it, we, we've said it. There, there is, as much as we maybe didn't picture this being the exact makeup, there is kind of a big three right now for Texas basketball with Marcus Carr and Serge Jabari Rice being the for sure two. And Timmy Allen in, in Big 12 play has certainly made the stake that he's uh, the third in that. And again, you know, I still feel like uh, my blind faith that there's a Tyrese Hunter uh, game towards the end of the season or even in postseason when he seems to, to play his best basketball where he can play like what we expected to be probably the second or third best player on this team. I, I think there, you know, there, there is a Kristen Bishop or Dylan Dessou game still left in, in this season, right? Where the big men can make an impact and they'll need to against some teams with some great bigs. So, um, but we do seem to have that solidified big three right now. And, and there's so much experience between Carr, Rice and Allen that, you know, I feel confident if that's the core of your team is you get ready to make a run um, in Texas, you know, 
the the Illinois game aside, where they they had a rough. Uh, end with the free throws um, that they didn't make and then a loss in overtime. They have been very, very good in close games and found a way to win them uh, and, and kind of hold out, uh, I think, seven times this year. They have they have won less than five-point games. Um, so they, they are um, they're good when it's close, and you have to give credit all the way top to bottom. It's player-led as well as Coach Terry stepping in and, and you know getting the team right, especially in second halves. So next up for Texas, they're at home Tuesday against Iowa State and then Baylor on Saturday. After that, two more in conference. The season is coming to a close. The, on the ladies' side, number 17, women's basketball continues to surge in conference play, absolutely demolishes West Virginia 74-48. to 48. Texas outscored West Virginia 50-29 to 29 in the odd-numbered quarter, setting themselves up for a massive run. Shea Gonzalez led the charge with 18-4. and four. Rory Harmon did her part with 16, 6 assists, and 6 rebounds. He's a fail, so you have to give a shout-out to her in this one, a double-double with 12 points and 11 rebounds. She had 10 points and 7 rebounds in that big first-quarter run alone. They they came out of both halves and just set the tone, and, you know, 50-29, to 29, like Gerald said, just really set uh, a tone that, that this is not one of those games that West Virginia is going to do something wonky, and Texas is just going to, you know, get out early and 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 breeze to a victory. The other big, Stiana Gass and Taylor Jones at 7 points apiece, 9 rebounds for Gass and 6 rebounds for Taylor Jones go with three blocks um so a a shared effort in the paint across the three bigs and then you know the two guards that we're used to seeing so um texas they play defense they win we know that they are now i believe it's 17 and 0 uh when they give up less than 59 points so you know that you know the formula you just got to go out and do it for vic texas hopes to continue to do it they have the formula but they've got to Go to Norman this weekend, Saturday, to take on OU. They're, they're tied. These two teams, basically, this game will likely determine who wins the conference regular season title. So, massive a game for the ladies, and you can catch that on Saturday from Norman. Well, now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. Number nine, softball. Got its first two run rules of the season. They're currently at uh, right about 9% of last year's total. They had 11 last year, two already through the first two games. Won their opener against Lamar, 8-2. to two. They went 5-0 and oh at the Texas Classic to approve to 8-1-1 one, and one on the year, including those two run rules. Absolutely massive uh, week and weekend for the ladies. Yeah, the, the last of those games against UIW, Probably the class of the bunch. They went 8-0 in five innings. Uh, Arizona straight transfer Mac Morgan threw her first complete game. Uh, shut out. Also beat Oklahoma 9-1 in five innings. They had two close ones against Omaha uh, 7-6 and against Loyola Chicago 6-5 where, you know, they had to play all the way out and every uh, every at-bat mattered. So you love to see kind of the difference in one tournament. If you get the blowouts, you feel comfortable, but you also get those challenges that will certainly pay off later in the season. A couple players to spotlight. Freshman Leanne Good. Starting out on fire, a true freshman, the number 17 player in the country from O'Connor in San Antonio, uh, has now set a NCAA, or excuse me, a, a Texas program record with uh, 10 
game hitting streak to start her career. She broke it uh, in game nine where Janae Jefferson was was present. She set the record with eight. Um, and Jefferson was throwing out the first pitch on Saturday and had to watch her record get broke. But she seemed to be tweeting uh, that she was thrilled for Leanne. Um, had four for four performance in there. She basically right now is leading the Big 12 with a 576 average and four doubles and two triples, uh, which her first career hit was a triple. She really announced herself. She has four steals um, and just, you know, uh, is looking like uh, Janae Jefferson kind of uh, direct replacement, which we never would have thought, especially from a freshman. I mean, she is she is looking like the real deal. Maybe, you know, a lot of the preseason stuff went to Mia Scott, who herself has been phenomenal in the start. Um, but I don't know if, if anyone thought Leanne Good would come in and be this good. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think we did, but I'm glad she is. Like you mentioned, uh, Mia Scott currently uh, second in the Big 12 in hits, first in stolen bases, and second in runs batted in. So a big, big outing for her. In the spirit of freshmen doing big things, freshman Lolly Gutierrez picked up her first career win against Lamar. She was the number 36 player in the 2023 class uh, from 2A Stanford. Had a rough outing against Northwestern, but got her groove back in the home opener on Wednesday. Uh, for his trouble, Coach Mike White got his 600th career win, 165 of that coming at Texas. Next up for the ladies, uh, hosting number eight, Virginia Tech, Abilene Christian, and Texas Southern for the Lone Star Invitational this weekend at McCombs Field. Number seven, men's tennis, right? Number seven, men's tennis reaches its first ITA indoors final in program history. Finished second place after uh, sweeping Wake Forest and getting a revenge match against Ohio State four to three. They beat number four, Michigan, for their run, but then fell to, unfortunately, TCU in the championship. A couple players just... He stood out in this one. Spaziri was great, uh, as we would expect, against Michigan, beat number seven uh, against Ohio State, got a good win. Um, you know, I, I, I thought Micah Braswell, who's back with the team, is is kind of getting in form. Um, he didn't beat a top 10 player in singles during this uh, against Ohio State. Um, I, I mean, I, I just thought, in general, the team looked... Uh, great up to the TCU match, which was which was tough. Spaziri was leading his, but it, it finished uh, unfinished before he could get a chance. But um, otherwise, TCU just looked to be the superior team, which will be an interesting thing to call back to when they get to Big 12. TCU has been building quite a program the past couple of years, but we mentioned it that the Ohio State, the number one team, they beat Texas early on. They were the favorite to win this, but it is a bit of a rivalry, and I think. If I recall, I said, let's hope they meet in the ITA indoors and Texas gets their revenge. Well, in, indeed, revenge they got because um, Ohio State had to watch Texas play, even though they didn't win it in the championship. So good momentum, uh, nonetheless, finishing runner-up, uh, heading into the outdoor season. We're excited for the outdoor season. Texas hopes to get some more Director's Cup points and potentially another championship in the outdoor season. Number four track breaks the DMR indoor program record in its opening race of, of the season at Notre Dame. Cruz Gomez, Jonathan Jones, Yusef Bismana, and Creighton Carroza uh, broke a record that has only stood for two years, right? But the big thing, 11 broken records this season by the track team. 
Creighton Carosa has three of those uh, in the past few weeks at both the Mile and the 800 in Boston. Two different events in Boston uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, one, I think, was three weeks, and one the other was last week. Um, but nonetheless, they are, they are getting some good momentum heading into um, the Big 12 indoors coming up uh, this week in Lubbock. So it's uh, a good exclamation there for uh, the DMR kind of distance medley team uh, there. Um, Texas looks stacked pretty across the board. They're, they're a top five team for a reason. And they, you know, they have uh, jumpers, they have distance, especially middle distance uh, where they haven't necessarily been as elite as they look right now. So they're just breaking records. They're, they're looking good, both men's and women's women's still number one uh, in the latest poll. So uh, indoors coming at a good time. Let's see if they can, they can defend some championships. That would be third straight for Texas. If they win this Weekend. Speaking of competing for consecutive conference championships this weekend, swimming will be taking place starting Tuesday, running through Sunday in Austin, looking for their infinite consecutive <laughs> Big 12 championship. I don't know when the last time another team in the Big 12 won it, but I, it, it, I, can't, it, I don't know if it's ever happened. I legitimately don't think they've ever lost a Big 12 championship, at least on the men's side. Um, so I'll confirm that. We'll, we'll, when we talk about next week, this win, I will have that stat confirmed by then for sure. Gerald, let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. A fun little uh, social media moment when you had the the large and handsome assemblage of gentlemen um, with, uh, with with long hair. Not everyone. The, the, the older gentleman did not have the, uh, the longer hair. But uh, the Doak Walker ceremony was uh, this weekend where Bijan was awarded uh, officially got his his trophy and his uh, his laurels um, and I follow SID Bianco so I saw him posting live kind of as it was going in but his photos were a little blurry so when the official photos came out they looked much better um, but it was a, an impressive group of uh, Earl Campbell, Ricky Williams, Dante Foreman, as well as Bijan Robinson. Uh, rest in peace, Cedric Benson, the one missing from that photo. He won the doke in 2004. They also had to get some better lighting on Ricky. Ricky looked like a shadow in a couple of those pictures, so, like, it's fun. Gerald, this is right up your wheelhouse. One of your all-time favorites, Ryan Krauser, said a new world record uh, in the shot put. He threw it um, 23.37 meters, which I always like to translate to feet because that's a lot of meters. But it's even more when you think in the American uh, standard of 76 and a half feet and some change uh, that he threw a, a heavy metallic object. My shoulder hurts just reading that sentence. I've said it before and I've, I'll say it again. If you're talking about biggest athletes at the next level for Texas, Ryan Krauser has to be in the conversation. Speaking of big achievers on the track and or field, Tara Davis-Woodhull, to use her entire and, and correct name now that she has uh, officially been married, uh, won the USA indoors uh, with a long jump of just under 7 meters, 6.99 meters. Um, that, again, in feet is uh, just under 23 feet. Uh, her indoor personal best is the leading jump in the world uh, this year and puts her in the top five all-time American jumps. Coach Rodney Terry was named one of the 15 uh, finalists on the Naismith uh, Men's Coach of the Year late season watch list. Uh, just a really incredible like story. I know awards like a story. Uh, coming in on December 12th, he's guided them to a 13-5 and mark, including three top 20 wins. They've been great. I mean, we talked about it. They're good in close games. They, they, they win against big teams. They, you know, this is... This is a really good program right now, and sometimes we forget. Like, 
they have every reason not to be. Yeah, I anticipated this being a season of like, what if, right? Like, what if Chris Beard hadn't been one of the three biggest idiots, regardless of whether or not uh, the charges were dropped? That doesn't mean he's innocent. That just means that they couldn't get somebody to testify, right? What if Chris, like, I anticipated it being a what if year, and mm-hmm. there's still a little bit of what if to it. But I think the fact that they've got the second most quad one wins in the country, right? And they have seen, like, we saw that early shakiness when, right, when Rodney Terry took over, but they've really hit their stride under Coach Terry. And yes, um, the need for second half comebacks is, is doing terrible things to my heart rate. But when push <laughs> comes to shove, like, they're winning games. And when, put, when, when we look back at the season, we're not going to remember that they were close wins. We're going to remember that an interim Rodney Terry got them wins. And and it's it is it is no fluke, right? They, like you said, the second half thing is is you know too too big to to you know not be a trend at this point. But they have a different identity. Their defense went from being like a top five defense to still good. I think they're somewhere around 40, 39 in, in you know like adjusted defense, which is still very good. But their offense took many steps forward, and that again doesn't seem like a fluke to me. When Terry came and put his stamp on it, it does feel like the offense is now um, a you know a more explosive and and high performing unit again. Oftentimes. Steps up in one or steps down in the other. Those you 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 basically decide where to spend your XP points. Uh, and Beard spent them all on defense. That was his philosophy. But you're seeing something different under Terry as he makes his case. Uh, you know to be uh, the head coach at the University of Texas or or elsewhere. But basically puts together this audition tape. You are seeing uh, his influence without a doubt. But keeping it on the hoops, um, we have two bits of news. One for a current Longhorn. Um, and one for a uh, soon-to-be Longhorn. Uh, men's basketball signee Ron Holland was named one of the five finalists for the Naismith High School uh, Boys Player of the Year. And a, another uh, player who looks at Ron Holland and says, I keep getting older, but the kids stay the same age. Uh, Brock Cunningham. Brockter Cunningham going for his uh, PhD in basketball in vibes. Uh, announced he's coming back for his sixth Sixth, sixth season. Um, Gerald, thoughts on those two pieces of news? Brockter Quinn, medicine glue man, is going to have his <laughs> PhD by the time he leaves. Um, it's really impressive. Um, I mean, legitimately, if you can get a full degree and a full MBA from McCombs while at, for, for while playing basketball and you know staying in shape and going to school for free, like what more power to you. Um, Ron Holland, I'm glad he has stuck around. I think his family is still monitoring the situation closely, but um, to get to the point where I think he might end up just sticking and that's a good thing. Yeah, I love love both of those guys on the team next year, especially because there will be an exodus with those guys we talked about with Timmy Allen, unfortunately not having any more Marcus Carr, Serge Jabari Rice all uh, exhausting their eligibility. Well, Brock Cunningham is going to be the glue for you know this and probably the next three or four recruiting classes. So um, <laughs> just excited. Can he go for ten? See both. Of, yeah, can we get a can we get a Perry Ellis on our hands here? Four more years. Besides Eldon basketball players. What have you been watching on your giant screen? Let's take it on a little bit of Godzilla Tron. Wasn't a big streaming weekend for us. My oldest turned six, and we did the Chuck E. Cheese thing, uh, which was great. He had a great time. We watched that rat dance for a little while, so that was fun. Shrinking continues to be great. You all should be watching it. Uh, for a family night, pizza night, movie night this week, we watched the original Ice Age and mm. the 
animation doesn't quite hold up, but the story and the voice acting definitely does. So still definitely worth the watch. And then I am finally diving back in on the third book of the Mistborn trilogy, Hero of Ages. Took a little bit to get going like some fantasy books do, but once it did, I'm really really enjoying it but I, I love it i think brandon sanderson does really great work and there's a reason why he's like one of he's the most prolific uh and sought after fantasy writer in the world right now big fan of his work love that i will i just had the conversation about getting back on the apple tv game and, and shrinking is one of the driving factors like my wife had something she wanted to watch as well but um as soon as that happens gerald will jump on the train with you gerald a train that requires no jumping because we all never left uh, I watched classic piece of American cinema um, December 11th, 1991. I would have said 92, 93, but okay, 1991 technically. Cinematic masterpiece, Hook. Gerald, when you talk about things not necessarily holding up, but also kind of holding up, Hook. Uh, th there were there's some plot holes. There were some things in storytelling that we, we gave more uh, grace to, um, you know, almost 30 years ago, which is crazy to say. Um, but I, I honestly hadn't seen this movie at least a decade, two decades, like legitimately. I think I had seen it since before it first came out when I was a young, young, young kid, but it had been a long time. So much so that I remember reading that Dustin Hoffman played Captain Hook and it, it, it blew my brain until the point when he gets his uh, wig knocked off and it's, you know, Dustin Hoffman sans wig and his kind of shorter regular hair there did it click. But there was like 20 different times in the film when I just like leaned in and was like, that is Dustin Hoffman playing Hook. What a character uh, he did. Robin Williams, obviously, all-time legend. I mean, I think a lot of our generation and generations around it, this is how they actually know the Peter Pan story. I don't know if they've all seen the original Disney, you know, and, and I think you have to because there were some plot holes that if you haven't watched it, you forget a little bit about the crocodile and some of the, the, the things, you know, the, the, why. The marbles. Um, exactly, the marbles. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, so, but, you know, it... it, it was like the sets were unbelievable, like lavishly done. You could tell it was a Spielberg Disney. There was no, you know, budget that could, you know, be denied. Like John Williams on the music. Like it was, it was a great hang. Like not a great movie, but an incredible hang. Like I, I would watch Hook, uh, and actually my wife fell asleep, so I did watch it a second time all the way through. Um, <laughs> I would watch Hook once a year, once every two years at worst. It was not bad. I, I, I loved it, and again, I love Robin Williams, so it's you know it's a soft spot there. But uh, nothing, nothing negative to say about about Hook. You've got obviously Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts, Bob Hoskins, mm -hmm. yeah. Dame Maggie Smith, Dante Bosco, right? Like um, I, and if you don't follow Dante Bosco or like know who he is, <laughs> he was guy who played Rufio, went on to like not be that big of an actor like overall, but uh, became a really prolific voice actor uh, towards the latter stages of his career. Voiced Prince Zuko on Avatar: The Last Airbender, which um, is just incredible and absolutely crushed it like love it big fan of his yeah absolutely uh so we we had this exact conversation because my wife couldn't believe she looked up how old he is that he's 47 uh there is a, a tiktok of him there's some filter going around that apparently you put a it teen in, filter to make you... yeah so she showed me that after we'd watched hook 
and it, it blew both of our minds because it was Rufio. Um, the teen filter made him look better than anyone I've seen. Like their, and I guess we know his childhood self, but it was also crazy to see that that man is 47. I think we've talked about it in this podcast that they made a, uh, he, I think crowdfunded a like lost boys se- sequel, um, alternate universe type of film, I think called Bangarang or, you know, anyways, I'll have to figure some more out on that. Cause I'll probably be watching Bangarang next. Um, but yeah, it, it, it the cast ridiculous. Um, I was blown away that Dame Maggie Smith was like in her 60s when that film came out. Like, how has this woman been old? My entire (laughs) lifetime, she's been old and crushing it. Um, You know, she makes (laughs) Downton Abbey. But yeah, anyways. All right, that's enough hook deep dives, but uh, it's great. You should watch it. Gerald, that's it for Godzilla Tron. And that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle... What are you banging the drum on this week? You know, I'm I'm very excited that football's back. And you ask, wait a minute, football just ended. Oh boy, not all of it. Um, we have a couple weeks until a spring game. Um, spring practice just started for the Longhorn football team, but there are Longhorns playing football currently. Um, the XFL featuring many. Uh, former Longhorns, uh, and I'm going to focus specifically on one of them. There is a, I think J- Jacoby Jones, Holton Hill were both drafted in, in the XFL draft. Uh, I think Hill's on the D.C. Defenders, and uh, I don't remember exactly where, um, but uh, uh, unimportant. But um, the one that I wanted to focus on is Ben Davis. Remember Ben Davis, Longhorn linebacker. Uh, He actually is the captain of the San Antonio team, which you know I'm in on a San Antonio team. Um, And the San Antonio team is the Brahmas, not for the MacArthur High School, if you're a San Antonio listener, but because Dwayne The Rock Johnson owns the San Antonio team, so he just used his Brahma logo as their logo. They announced this week also that the XFL championship game will be played in San Antonio. Um, San Antonio had the the other league team um, last year. Yeah, exactly. The USFL San Antonio team had the highest attendance rates in the league. San Antonio is star for football. This is the reason the Cowboys held their camps there for many years. That's uh, the reason, like Gerald said, that Red McCombs could never get a team in because Jerry Jones feared that half their fans would leave uh, if San Antonio ever got their own team. Um, but so they have their team now. This is a professional team, not the NFL, but a professional league. And San Antonio fans are showing out. And it is a Longhorn who is leading the team out of the tunnel. Ben Davis, a man who... Came from Alabama, made his way to Texas, just never really lived up to all the potential in either place that we thought he could be, um, is now quickly asserting himself in the new league. And I, for one, will be rooting both for the San Antonio Brahmas as well as former Longhorn Ben Davis. You and me both. So I'm making the drum this week on Crystal Conti's town hall. If you missed it, uh, he does this kind of annual town hall or kind of semi-annual town halls where he speaks with fans and kind of addresses questions and things like that. And somebody asked about alternate jerseys and he said, God made the sunsets burn orange for a reason, right? Great line. Um, But the thing that I think loved about it, and it speaks to me specifically in my context, is that one of the first changes that Chris Del Conte made as he tried to improve the game day experience at DKR was address the, the food prices and having the uh, happy hour prices at several games. And he, he went on record and said that uh, right now bottles of water are three and I wish we could get them down to two. And that to me uh, just speaks to of, of all the things that people want to slight him for, like 
knowing that the fan experience is paramount and is the reason why the University of Texas will continue to be successful as a father of three who wants to take his children to as many athletic events on in on the 40 acres as he can being able to take my kids to a game and say yeah we can get a drink and some popcorn and not have to take out a second mortgage is massive to me and and I think it again speaks to whatever thoughts you may have about Chris Conte and hires or coaching decisions uh, he gets what makes athletic departments run and it's getting fans in the seats and giving fans a first class experience and so I'm glad that he's taking that mindset and I, I applaud him for it and I think we all should Del Conte's amazing. We all remember the the Mac Brown, you know, arriving press conference, the the come early, stay late, wear orange, be loud comment. Del Conte has had a lot of zingers and one-liners and great things in his statements since. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, the Texas Longhorn sports dominance that we've had over the past few years is only, you know, not only, but it is certainly uh, one, a dedication from the athletic director and the entire university to invest across all sports. And two, it is the fans uh, getting out there and, and supporting and giving true home court advantage we've seen for both the men's and women's team. I think, you know, I think it's something like 24 straight games across the two um, the two teams. The Moody has not seen a loss in over 20 games. Um, there's only been two losses all year in the mood. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, the fans matter. This is, is incredible um that we're seeing this uh so yeah you're, you're absolutely right love del conti love what they're doing um just wanted to throw an addendum gerald that i forgot to say both heinz ward the head coach and joey porter the the linebackers coach of the brahma so if you're not on board get on board quickly while there's still room on the bandwagon and that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet oh you can follow me on twitter at kyle carbon you can also follow the texas pregamer at texas pregamer you can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week for our final show on the Burn Orange Nation podcast feed. We'll have a bunch of updates for you there as well about our future and where we're going to go. Don't worry. All good news. We're excited to share it with you. <laughs> and until then, hook them. Hook them. We ain't going nowhere. <laughs>